Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. We've studied in our first lesson the overview of the tabernacle and the need for the tabernacle. And then last week we were into the way uh, the entrance into the the tabernacle. Talk about the outer court, and uh, uh, anybody remember what the what the white linen meant and represented? Righteousness, holiness, righteousness of the saints. The righteousness of the saints. We talked about the post that that stood around, and and you know that there is so much detail in the tabernacle. We could probably spend an entire year uh, studying on this, and so we're just hitting some highlights. And uh, just just what a beautiful, beautiful uh, topic it is that because it reveals things that, that are New Testament truths that uh, God shows through us, shows to us throughout the tabernacle. We studied the, the brazen altar, speaks of repentance, and aren't you thankful for Calvary and what the Lord did today? It's, it, it is, this is also a part of the way because it's part of the outer court. We're going to be talking about the laver, the laver. Amen. The labor, the the uh, the washing place, the cleansing place. All right. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. Do you see how he switches from a natural uh, storytelling to a spiritual connotation. Uh, they were under the cloud, passed through the sea, and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then we find, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and, say it with me, that rock was Christ. Let's say it again. And that rock was Christ. Uh, that's going to be a, a, a pivotal uh, understanding in the teaching of the, the labor today. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. I ask, Lord Jesus, for your help. I ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, just bless us, God, in the understanding of your word. Let your word come alive to us, speak to us, and through us, and in us, in the mighty, precious, wonderful name of Jesus. Let everybody say amen. 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 Praise God. You can be seated today. We begin with our number one topic, our first topic there, and just simply a reminder that God is holy. Everybody say, God is holy. Everything that you and I know on this earth and even in the heavens, everything that we know, tangible, physical, belongs to a class. Belongs to a class. We are part of the human race. We all belong to that race, black, white, red, yellow, whatever the color of skin. We all belong to the human race. So we're human. 
A floppy-eared basset hound is a dog. Just like a German shepherd is a dog. A chihuahua is a dog wannabe. Oh, I, I, lo I, I love chihuahuas for all you chihuahua folks. An tall oak is a tree. Pine tree is a tree. <laughs> Earth is known as a planet. Can you name another planet? Pluto is that is is that a planet? In your heart, it's a planet. <laughs> God bless our student pastor. Praise God. Uh, but Earth, Mercury, Saturn are in a class called planets. Satan is a part of a class called demons. Gabriel is a part of a class called angels. But when it comes to God, he's all by himself. There is no class but him. He stands alone. Therefore, he is holy. God is utterly different and distinct and unique. There is none like him. He alone is the absolute authority. Everything else but him has a beginning. He has no beginning. There's no one else. There's nothing else. There's no other entity. There's no other physical, spiritual entity that can say that. He alone always was, always is, and always will be. He alone deals with uh, uh, the fact that time does not, does not re relate to him. He can step in and out of time. He alone is self-sufficient. He alone is holy, completely holy. He doesn't possess holiness. He is holiness. So when we describe God as holy, we mean that he is one of a kind. One of of a kind. Amen. There's none like him. He's in a class by himself. John Piper, noted author and uh, a preacher, stated this. To say that our God is holy means that his value is infinitely greater than the sum of the value of all created things. So if you, if you put all things put together, whatever it's worth, whatever it's value, he's still greater. <coughs> that means he's holy. God is perfect. God is perfect. I, I really like Ravi Zacharias' explanation of God in one sentence. Quote, he is the only entity in existence, the reason for whose existence is in himself. Unquote. Let me say it again. He's the only entity in existence, the reason for whose existence is in himself. He's all sufficient. We are not. We have to have things like oxygen, food, blood. He has everything within himself. Think about that. Oh, I don't know if the Lord can help me. Amen. God is infinite. He's not contingent on any necessary being to support him. It is impossible for God, by definition, therefore, not to be. He is non dependent on anything. He doesn't depend on anything. So holiness speaks of the utter uniqueness of our God. He's distinct. He's singular. 
His oneness reveals his majestic glory and unmatched worth. He is holy. He is a cut above all others. All who claim to be God, he is above. Amen. There's none like him. So when we say God is one, we are declaring him to be holy, perfect, indivisible. Holiness then and oneness are essential synonyms. Holiness and oneness are essential synonyms. The same word. Amen. Let, let's go to the next slide. God is holy. Somebody say, God is holy. For he said, be holy as I am holy. Leviticus eleven forty five. He said, there is none holy, there's none holy as the Lord. 1 Samuel 2 and 2. Who is like unto our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He has to stoop to see the Milky Way. He has to stoop to see that end of the universe and that end of the universe all at one time. Woo. I'm sorry, Superman. I'm sorry, all you Marvel heroes. Y'all are just a figment of imagination, but my God's real. He is holy. All right? Next thing, God is holy. God is holy. It, it, it says, his way, O God, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Thy way, O God, is in your tabernacle. That's what we're talking about. Who is so great a God as ours? The Lord said, I am the Lord, your holy one. Singular. Undivided. I am your holy one, the creator of Israel, uh, your king. He, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. So we understand that his character is holy, his essence is holy, his, his uh, ability is holy, his name is holy. A.W. Tozer wrote, Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. He went on to say he is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God is holy and he has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe, unquote. I like that. When you begin to look through scripture, you find that the word holy is found some 611 times in 544 verses of scripture. How many know God is holy? He said it. He's explained it over and over. It is the, the continuity that flows from his being. From the beginning of the time to the end of time, he is holy. And then he says something that I have, I know you've heard me say this before, but then he says something in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 15, he says something that is just mind-boggling. He's mind-boggling. He says, but as he which hath called you is holy, we understand that, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. 
And here's the illustration I've used before talking about this faith, this, this uh, phrase, be ye holy. That's kind of like saying to me, jump to the moon. I've got a three-inch vertical leap. Jump to the moon. I know some of you have got 33 inches, but when it, calls, when it comes to jumping to the moon, your 33 inches doesn't make any difference to my, my three. See, that's what holiness is about. When we begin to look at it, it's that there's nothing in us that can attain that holiness by our leaping ability, by what we wear on our outside. We can't do it by just simply uh, actions alone, though actions are important. We can't do it by actions alone. We need to do it because he said, be holy as I am holy, and it's about his power. Amen. Something miraculous then must occur for there be a correction in the human condition. Something miraculous has got to occur for there to be a correction in the human condition because flesh, sin, cannot approach the presence of a powerful, holy God. He said no flesh is going to glory in his presence. So here's the dilemma. A holy God wants to be in relationship with an unholy people, so therefore he sets about in a plan of redemption to make sure that they have a way. Now in the Old Testament, it was found in the operation of the tabernacle. In the New Testament, it is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. The almighty holy one of heaven cannot be what he is not. He is not sin. He is not a liar. He is not unrighteous. He is not unholy. He is not weak. Amen. God cannot change. So humanity has got to change from being all that. For all have sinned. I don't care how long you've been in church, whether you grew up in this, whether you were sucking your thumb under a pew while they were shouting and running the aisles. It does not matter. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there must be a way to take an unholy individual and put them in the presence of an holy God. Well, that's what the labor is about. That's what the labor is about. Let's go to number two. Let's talk about this labor. Uh, now, I have given a, just a depiction here of what this looks like, going off different artist renderings. You can find all kinds of pictures of lavers on the internet. I'm telling you, you can find every, everything imaginable, and we'll tell you why here in a little while. But once you have entered into the gate that we talked about last week, and once you have gone through that gate and you have met the brazen labor, the place of sacrifice, the place of repentance, if you don't remember anything else about the, 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 the brazen labor that we talked about last week, there is it, it, it speaks to us of the forgiveness and the uh, repentance that goes along with us getting into the presence of the Lord. It's the first place they start. Before you can ever get to the ark, you got to get at at the altar. Okay? You have to start at the altar. Oh Lord, I messed up. I need your I need your sacrifice. I need what you did at Calvary for me. So I repent of my sins. All right? Let's look at the overview just a minute to kind of let you know where the the position of of the tabernacle is. I mean where the laver is that we're studying today. Here is the gate the that we call the way the outer court, you had the, 
the brazen altar, and then the laver, then the laver that would stand between the brazen altar and the tent or the tabernacle proper. All right, that, that, that kind of reminds you of the location of where it is. The location of the laver was between the tabernacle and the brazen altar. It's in your notes. Praise God. Laver. Let's look at scripture here. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make me a laver of brass. Now, when we mention brass, a lot of people will uh, compare it or put it together with copper. You will see different commentators that will call it copper and some call it brass. Same properties. Okay, we're going to say brass because that's what we're reading in the Bible. Thou shalt also make a laver of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons, listen to this, shall wash their hands and their feet. Somebody say hands and feet. Verse 20 says, When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. This would stop a lot of sinning. Stop a lot of lying. Stop a lot of people that you you watch this this, this preacher fell and that preacher fell and this saint fell and that, that saint fell. Amen. Aren't you glad for the long suffering of God? Because if it was operated under the condition of, of, of this day, if they weren't clean, they'd die when they got to the tabernacle. Whew. I think we ought to be clean before we come into God's presence. How about you? Wash their hands and their feet that they die not and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. And then if you will jump to Exodus chapter 38 and verse 8. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So this was made out of the looking glasses of the ladies. In that day, what they would do is they would take brass or they would take copper uh, and they would polish it until it became uh, so so uh, uh, reflective that they would look at themselves and check themselves. Their, their hair, how's you, you know, you got something in your teeth, you know, it's just this, you know, what's going on here? And so they, that's what made the, the, the labor. Let's go to the next slide, please. And so if you could imagine that this brass uh, uh, here is shining so bright that the water, if you looked into the water, you could see the reflection through the water. You could look on the outside and it was shining so bright that they, 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 could, they could see on the outside. Everywhere you walked up, you walked up to this place, you saw the reflection of you. When the priest would come up here, he would see the stains on his face, the stains on his garments, the stains, of the mess on his hand, the mess on his feet. Amen. So, so the labor was to be the place 
of cleansing, the place of cleansing. Let's look at the general purpose of the laver. The general purpose, three things here. Number one, that all three are about clean. Number one is the laver was to clean the inner parts and the legs of the burnt offering. The inner parts and the legs of the burnt offering. Number two, to clean the priest for worship and service, their hands and their feet. Their hands and their feet. Number three was to clean the priest so that he could enter in the high priest, could enter into the holy place. Amen. These are the reasons of the labor. There was a continual going on between the, the, the altar, the brazen altar, where we saw the sacrifices going on, and the labor. They were offering and washing, offering and washing. Repenting and cleansing. It is not just enough to repent. You have to produce fruit of that repentance. So the laborer then is the fruit of repentance. Remember what repentance is? It comes from the old English idea of, of soldiers that repent. About face, okay? They turn around and go a different direction. So that is the general purpose of the labor. Let's next look at the labor's uniqueness. The labor is unique, and three things I want to show you that the labor is unique about. Number one, it was the only article of furniture without specified dimensions. It was the only article of furniture. We're going to get into this later on a little bit more in detail. It was the only piece of furniture that you didn't know how big it was, what size it was, how tall it was, how much water it held. Amen. No mention of coverings, utensils, bars, or staves. No referral to its shape. There was no mention of how it was carried. No mention of how it was set up. Nothing. Every other piece of furniture had detailed instructions about its size, what it was meant for, how it was covered, how it was carried. So it was unique in that it was without specified dimensions. The next one is that it was unequaled in its priestly function. It is actually the first vessel that the priest had contact with every day. The priest was to come in contact with the laver every day. For they must have their hands sanctified for service and their feet sanctified for order. We could talk about our hands. How many know what our hands is? It's what, whatever you, do, you put your hand to. Amen. Every day we ought to be doing something about washing our hands and making sure that our hands are clean, that what we're doing and where we're going is clean. What we're doing and where we're going is clean. <clears throat> the priest offered nothing here. Let me say that again. The priest offered nothing here. So offering presented, we find that no sweet smell and savor is here. Just clean. Just clean. Just clean. Let me show you another reason that it is unique is that it removed what disqualified the priest for service. Let me say it again. It removed what disqualified. I just don't think I'm doing. Well, there's a cleansing. There is a cleansing. There is a washing. Woo, praise be to God. We often think about how dirty we are. Well, we could see that in the labor, but there's an answer in the water, okay? 
Again, the laver was made out of certain material. The laver was made out of brass, out of the, the looking glasses, the mirrors of uh, the, the ladies. And if you'll remember from our pillars of brass on the outer court, brass means judgment with mercy. Brass means judgment of mercy. And brass can speak of firmness, solidity, power. The Bible speaks about gates of brass in Psalm 107, bars of brass in 1 Kings 4, fetters of brass in Judges 26. The strength of mercy is that Jesus, our Savior, endured the cross that we could have judgment. I judge you, look in the mirror, you are dirty, but I have mercy because here you can wash and be clean. The purpose of the labor was examination and cleansing. Examination and cleansing. Let's, let's go to number three. The secret of the new birth is found in the labor. The secret of the new birth. The Bible says that the women assembled at the door of the tabernacle quite possibly was doing it so they could beautify themselves in order to make themselves more attractive to the Lord or to somebody else. It was customary, on the other hand, for Egyptian women to carry mirrors with them to their temples to be impressive, to look great. We find that God asked them to surrender their mirrors for the construction of the labors. What is he saying? Cleaning, being clean is more important than what you think you look like. Than what you think you look like. Our image, how we see ourselves, changes at the place of cleansing. They went from looking at themselves without understanding judgment and mercy to finding that in the type of the labor. Our beauty cannot mean, does not mean a hill of beans when it comes into his presence. We got to be cleansed. Amen. Our impressive uh, uh, stature and identity doesn't mean anything coming to his presence. We've got to be cleansed. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, let's let's look at this, this, this idea that we're facing today. There's a lot of Follow your heart business today. Just follow your heart. Man, I want to follow my heart. Somebody said that's a risky business. Next, next thing is, is the, there's a risk when it comes to self-reflection. Look at what Jeremiah said in 17 and 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart, my heart, will flat fool us. It'll make us seem that we're a lot worse than we are and a lot better than we are. It will fool us. Then it said, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? Self-reflection, standing out as the women were, reflecting upon themselves, did not get them a proper understanding of what they really, really, and who they really, really are. Because pop culture today says, Follow your heart. That's dangerous, isn't it? The problem with trusting our feelings is that it, we, we can be fooled. 
I wish very much that Jeremiah would have relegated his statement here to the to the desperately wicked, to the mass murderers and the and the rabid hedonist community and the far radical left and right. I wish that he had done that. But he also referred us to people like King David, who was a great man, but his heart deceived him. His heart led him down the road of lust, and his heart led him down a road of pride, adultery, and murder. In his prayer of repentance, it was David that said, Create in me, O God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. I'm telling you, self-reflection is a dangerous thing. Self-diagnosis is a dangerous thing. Sometimes we need somebody else to look at us through the Word of God. That's why we come to church. We want, we want to be able to look at the Word and see, what's the Word say to me? Well, I can do it once in a while. It was a daily communion with the word for the priest to operate. <clears throat> Look at Mark 7 and 20. Jesus said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth him. For within, from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, adulterers, fornication, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and all this kind of junk because he said all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Our hearts are a carnival. Ever went into the, that, 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 those mirrors in a carnival? You go by them, they make you look like you're real skinny. You go to another one, you look like you're real fat. You go to another one, you look like you're this. That's the way the world is reacting today to their handheld mirrors. To the mirrors by handheld, I don't mean just a little one. I'm talking about them looking at themselves, looking at how they feel, look at their emotions, look at their being as, as in the framework of a world without truth is such a mess. So where do we go to find out what we really are? We go to the laver. We go to the laver because it is a place that symbolizes the end of flesh. Pride has to give away when it comes to cleansing at the labor. Without perfect cleanliness, then, we will not enter into the glory of the Lord. So we need to use the proper mirror for the proper image and the proper reflection. I need the Word of God to tell me, not a denomination. I need the Word of God to tell me, not just a preacher. I need the Word of God to tell me, not just something I looked up on YouTube. If you're studying doctrine on YouTube, please come see me after church. Because you need to undo YouTube. There's some craziness out there, all right? So we need to use the right mirror when it comes to the labor and the cleansing. And in the labor is a beautiful picture of the new birth. Look at John chapter 3. You know the story. Nicodemus come uh, to, 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 to meet Jesus at night. In John chapter 3 verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Can you imagine here is Nicodemus who is a Pharisee and who is of the inner court of the religious Jews. What kind of conversation he is now revealing they're having about Jesus behind closed doors. 
Some are saying killing him, and some are saying, well, he can't do this if he wasn't from God. <clears throat> Look at verse 3. All right, let me finish with, with verse 2. Go back to verse 2, I'm sorry. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3. It's interesting how Jesus just changed the subject here and went straight to an important truth. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Somebody say, Jesus said it. All right. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered that by the next verse. Verily, say, verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we understand from the very fall of Adam that the spirit of man is lost without God. That part of man is dead because there was a disconnect between the spirit of man and God. And it needed to have a new birth. That's what Jesus is talking about. When your spirit dies because of sin, then there must be a new birth to bring it back alive to be in right standing so the spirit can breathe again and live again he first said he said you you cannot see if you're going to you must be born again uh, uh, because those that are born again will see the kingdom <clears throat> the word see here means to pay attention to to understand to learn about those who can can look and see the things of God they they peer over and they look at it they see it. They see what, what, what's going on. And, and they're interested in it. Uh, um, how many know that in a, new, in a birth you have to have a conception? Right? The Bible said we are conceived by the word of God. The new birth happens when faith is grown out of the word. Somebody hears a message of Jesus and of his love and what he did, and there is an instant conception. I believe this is at the moment they begin to see the kingdom. But Jesus clarified what new birth was when he said, except you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter. When, 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 when a baby is born, it enters into the world, right? It, 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 it is born. There is a conception. We believe there's life. Come on, somebody. There's life. There's faith there, but it hasn't come to fruition or to birth until that baby is born. And Jesus said, you must be born of water and of the spirit to be born again. So let's look at the, the water and the spirit connection throughout Scripture. The very first place you will find this coming into to reality is when Jesus was baptized of John and he went down in water. There is no place in Scripture that anyone was ever sprinkled, just so you know that. Okay? It's always immersed. They went down in water. The word baptism is immersed. When you look it up in the Greek, it means under. I remember the first time that I baptized somebody. I was a youth pastor at Chicago, and Sister Gill and I 
uh, were working there with the Shelbys. You remember Brother Shelby, Bishop Shelby, that come. Uh, we were his uh, youth pastors there, and uh, he had me baptize my first person. And uh, so there was a young man, and he had get, gone through all the things teaching me what to do, and I took him down, and it was something, something like ours where you stand on the outside, and I took him down and brought him back up. I was so proud of myself. I did it. Brother Shelby, I don't know if you ever watch him, but he does this. He'll pull on his labels. It'll pales, rather. He'll pull or he crosses his arm. But he did that and stuck that bottom lip out. Remind me of Brother Jack a little bit. Stuck that bottom lip out and went, do it again. Well, all of my excitement, all my thrills, and everything that I went went just like a balloon that you had to let the air out. It just, he said, you didn't take him down all the way. I felt sorry for the guy because the next time I made sure bubbles were coming up. <laughs> he, 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 he was baptized. But everywhere in Scripture it talks about baptism. The Greek word for baptism it deals with Something that goes underwater. Goes underwater. Study it sometime. Okay? So when Jesus is baptized, then we find the, the realization that the Spirit came down like a dove upon him. Right? So we find Spirit connected to baptism in, in the example of Jesus. But it was fulfilled in the early church. Look at slide uh, 27, being born of water and of the Spirit. We find that in Acts 8, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Baptism and spirit. Water and spirit. Acts 9, Saul was filled with the Holy Ghost and was baptized. In Acts 9. Next one. Cornelius was a man of faith. He was a praying man. He was a man who loved God. He was a, uh, a, a, an interesting person because he was a centurion or he was a Roman. And so he was out of, of the normal Jewish faith. But somehow he got a hold of that faith and believed in God and prayed and, and cried unto the Lord. But then we find that he understood that he needed more revelation. So he sent for Peter. And Peter came to his house and preached the word to him. And as Peter preached, the Holy Ghost fell on them. And they spoke in tongues as Peter preached the word. Acts 10, 44 through 46. And then Peter, in verse 48, commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord. You see the connection. Spirit, baptism. Spirit, Baptism. Let me give you a couple more uh, from the book of Acts chapter 19. These are disciples of, of, of John the Baptist at Ephesus. They were disciples of John. They had faith. They had an understanding partly of what God was, and they were baptized. Paul said in verse 4, unto repentance. John baptized unto repentance. Paul preached Christ Jesus to them, and when they heard this, they were baptized, quote, heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 19 and 5. Paul then laid hands on them in verse 6, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Water, spirit. Water, spirit. 
Look at Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But after the, the kindness and love of our God, our Savior toward men, not by works of righteousness. Baptism is not a work. It's an act of faith. Otherwise, somebody's just getting dunked. Okay, listen to, listen to these words. And after the kindness and love of our God, our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Water, spirit. Water, spirit. Originally, Adam was clothed in God's radiant light of righteousness. He was the great reflection of God's person and will created in the image of God. But one of the reasons that he fell is because he marred God's image because his spirit died. His, his connection with God died. Amen. So when Jesus Christ came, he came to renew to us the right example so that we could follow the example of the Son of God. Not to be an example of Adam, but rather to be an example of Christ. Romans 8 and 29 for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants everybody to be conformed to the image of his son. Hallelujah. How do we do that? Through the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. We are changed from following after Adam's image to following after Christ's image. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The church then is to be representatives and images of the glory of God and the only way possible for that to happen is for there to be a cleansing and with that I can jump to the moon I said with that I can jump to the moon praise God let me show you let's go back to the labor and talk to you about something that is found in the labor the lamb that was sacrificed on the brazen altar Remember, they had the sacrifice on that first piece of instrument, uh, uh, first furniture. Must have then its inward parts and its legs taken over to the laver and washed, and then returned to the altar to be burned up. That was the law of the Lord. You're going to take the inward parts and the legs, wash it in the laver. Return to the altar to be completely consumed. If you want to look up scriptures, Leviticus 1 and 9. The inward parts speak of the Adamic or Adam nature. It is the dying out of the flesh. Speak of the entrails. It represents the sin nature. This is why I think sometimes people get misunderstanding between getting forgiveness from God and taking care of Adam's nature in their life. Okay, so the inward parts, the Adamic Adam nature, is got to. It's, it's been on the altar of repentance. Then it is taken over to the laver and it's washed, both its inwards and its legs. That speaks of the nature, and the legs speak of the walk. When we come out of the water of baptism, 
what, we, what in essence is happening, in, in my opinion anyway, is, is, is that we are going down in baptism and we take that old nature. We have been forgiven at, at, at the altar, but there's still something about the old nature that's got to be taken care of. We died at the altar, but that nature has got to be buried in the cleansing of the water. And so we find that when we take ourselves into water, we go down with one nature and we come up with another nature. I don't know about you, but that's enough to make a mummy shout. I wish somebody would. Just as washing of the burnt offering required that the inward parts and the legs be cleansed, so must our, our inner nature receive what we receive from Adam be cleansed. Let me show you scripture. Uh, Acts 2 and 38. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. What did they hear? Peter preached unto them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And he said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Baptism, when you see and understand by faith, it's not a work of flesh, but rather a process of taking what we've repented of and putting it over the inward parts, the nature, and that propensity of where we we're going to walk. We start walking differently. We start talking differently. Praise the Lord. Let's go to point number four. Let's talk about the secrets of daily cleansing found in the labor. We talk about the secret of baptism revealed in labor. Now, it's not just the labor. It's not just a type of baptism. It's a type of daily sanctification or a daily cleansing that we must have in a relationship with God. The New Testament speaks of washing in two ways, baptism and washing of the water in the word on a daily basis. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. Ephesians 5 and 26. That he might sanctify that. Now he's talking to a church now. He's not talking about sinners. He's talking to the church and about the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The psalmist said, the words of the Lord are pure. The words of the Lord are pure. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15 and 3, you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. God cleans his people up on a daily basis through the word. Through the word. That's why we need to get in the word. Listen to the word. Amen. Read the word. Study the word. Every day, get something inside of you because it's by the word that you begin to walk to that labor. You walk into that place where the mirrors are and you see the mirrors, amen, and it looks at you and it says you need, to, you need to straighten up over here. Not your own idea, not your own heart fooling you, but the word revealing yourself. Amen. How many of you know that you have blind spots but you don't know what they are? Now, you can go and ask Aunt Sally, 
and she'll probably tell you, and she may be right or she may be wrong, but why don't you go to the Word and say, oh God, reveal yourself to me in the Word today. Lord, let me see my attitude in the Word today. Lord, let me see my actions in the Word today. Let me see my personality in the Word today. Am I a duplicitous person? Oh God, do I have a problem with narcissistic attitudes and spirits? Am I self-centered and self-willed? Or am I really being able to look in your Word and I see, oh, clean yourself up over here, Gil. Wash yourself over here. Praise God. How many of you that it bugs you if you walk out in public and you have forgotten something and they look at you and they say, you got a little something right there. You got a little something right there. Right there. Oh, man, how'd I miss that? How'd I miss that? How'd I miss that? The labor represents a daily cleansing a daily relationship cleansing in the Word of God. We find that the Word of God brings cleansing. It also brings direction. The Word shows us the will of God and the way of God. The Word reveals our motives. The Bible speaks about that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You want to be honest before God? Be honest before His Word. Show me your Word. Walk up to the labor, as it were, and begin to say, Oh, God, make me clean today. Lord, let me walk in the right spirit today. Lord, let me have the right attitude today. Lord, your word says, amen, I need to be holy, but I can't jump to the moon unless I look in the word and I see the word helping me. The word of God will reveal our obedience and disobedience. This is the trouble with, uh, with, with me and maybe some of you, I don't know, but James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Verse 24, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. How many of you... I'm putting myself in that category. Going to a conference and you heard our camp or a service and you heard a message convicted your hearts and you said, man, I'm going to do better. I am going to do better. And two weeks later, you're just simply, how did I get back here? That's why we go daily, daily into his presence, into his word. Sit down with the word of God. Let it come alive to you. I don't understand it. Just let it work anyway. Let it work anyway. Verse 39, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, somebody say that's the word, the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The word of God brings revelation and it brings cleansing. The labor as a mirror is a place we need to go daily and say to the Lord, clean me. If the priest did not wash before they came into the holy place, they would die. The significance then of the labor is understood by the judgment that was placed upon them because they failed to wash. Each time a priest worked at the brazen altar, he had, they had to wash their hands and their feet. So beautiful picture of what we do and where we go. 
Before a priest could enter into the holy place, he had to wash his hands and his feet. Throughout the day, the priests were constantly going to the laver, cleaning and cleansing. You, you, you say, uh, uh, how is it that that laver could be, you know, that would get messy. They had to have some kind of irrigation or some kind of uh, uh, flow to keep it clean from one place to another. But the Bible doesn't tell us what that is. The, the Jewish scholars have, have thoughts about it, but we don't know. But it wasn't stagnant and stale and pond up with, with uh, blood guts and all that kind of stuff. It was clean and it stayed clean. The daily washing of the labor does, does not signify that the priest sinned daily, but that he needed to make sure he was clean daily. We don't go, Brother Bob, to the word and get cleansed daily because we're bad people. We're saved by grace. We're a lot better off than we think. But I want to make sure, Brother Chris, that when I look into the Word, if I see something there, I've got to get it out of my system, off my face, out of my life. John 15 and 7. I already quoted it, but let me read it to you because it's in our slide order, and if I get out of order, I've messed up. John 15 to 5, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Before I enter into the holy place of the Lord, before I enter into a place of his presence, I need to go by the labor, by the word, and get clean. I got to do that. The psalmist said in 24 and 3, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul in the vanity nor sworn deceitfully. You have to be holy to come in his presence. Well, I can't because I'm not holy. I'm not good enough. I can't talk right enough. I can't act good enough. But he said, I got a labor over here. It's called my word. It's going to teach you about grace. It's going to teach you about mercy. It's going to teach you about forgiveness. It's going to teach you about love. And it'll also teach you about judgment and wrath. So you know God. He winds up in the verse of Psalm 24 and 5. He shall receive, the one that has clean hands shall receive the blessing from the Lord. The blessing of the Lord. Let's go to number five. Everybody say, without dimension. The labor is given, the instructions are given without specific dimensions. It's the only piece of furniture that no dimensions are provided to dictate how it was made. There are a lot of particulars throughout the story and the writing of the, of the, of the tabernacle. It, it, we don't have it. Consider this. The labor is the type that we've said is a type of the cleansing power of God. Is it not? It's a type of baptism and salvation. It is a type of dev, daily cleansing. What it shows me, this is just my opinion, is that Without giving dimension, without giving size, without giving how, how it operated, it gives to us the understanding is that my grace and what I need in my life is going to be different than yours. But it's big enough to match whatever sin I have, whatever sin you have. There's not a limited dimension. It is unlimited. There is not just a box that we can put forgiveness in. It is unlimited. 
uh, unbox, if you please. It is open. Hallelujah. The laver speaks of the cleansing of the new birth and of the continual cleansing of a daily life. Amen. How are you going to put that in a box? Oh, I sinned today. Oh, but I got a laver that's big enough to help me. Oh, I messed up today, but I got a laver that's big enough to help me. I have a God that still loves me even, even when I'm a child and my son. Amen. It's not about necessarily being born again. I'm already born again, but I have to go back to the laver and I have to go back to the word to be clean. I want to remind you today that holiness has no limits. Cultural can put all the limits they want it. Churches can put limits on holiness that they want to. Amen. But holiness has no limits. I want to tell you, his love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power cannot be bound by the things of this world. It is omnipotent. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. You want to know all there is to know? Let me tell you, there is room for everybody. There is room for everybody to experience everything. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 and God hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding, the excelling the beyond limit riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Colossians or 2 Corinthians rather 2 Corinthians 9 and 14. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding, the excelling, the expanding, the unlimited grace of God in you. So no dimensions. I believe he made everything else have dimensions except this. I believe it so we know his grace is without measure. If you will come to the Word, if you will look at the Word, let the Word reflect you. Now, I can walk by the laver and try to make my way into the holy place, but if I do, I will die. That's what the Word said. So what does that speak to us in, in this sense? Is if I try to bas- bypass the cleansing, I'll never get to his presence. I'll never get to his presence. I have a question for you. Where did they get the water? They're in the wilderness. Where'd they get the water? Anybody have a thought? Go back to our beginning text. Where'd they get the water? Same place they got the water where they drank. Same place they got the water that fed the the cows. (laughs) And they'd all did drink the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual walk that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Water flowed from the rock that Moses smote, and it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as the smitten rock. He is the one that provides the water that he poured out. He said, I have living water for you. I have living water for you. He poured out. Amen. He's the one that provides the water, the refreshing, so the cleansing, so the water is Christ. Doesn't the Bible speak that we are baptized into Christ? The water is Christ. Amen. So we also look at at one in in different ways the Lord gave to us in, in each gospel his great commission. In Luke, he gave to it a little different way than he did in Matthew, that he did in Mark, and that he did in John. Look at this. 
In Luke 24 and 47, Jesus said, and that repentance, somebody say the altar, and remission, somebody say the labor, of sins shall be preached in the rock's name. I'm sorry, Mr. Rock Actor. You're not the original. I don't know why I went there, but it came to my mind. But that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among where? Just Jerusalem? All nations. Does that mean Medora? America? His name, that repentance and remission of sin was going to be preached in his name. What is it? It's that rock. That rock that followed them was Christ. Amen. What that shows me is that rock followed them wherever they went. And as long as they stayed connected to the rock, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Amen. Look, none of them were sick. I want to go back to the water. I want to go back. Didn't we preach Sunday that Jesus is the word? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's that rock. He is that word. He is everything. All right. In the brazen altar, we find judgment against sin. Okay? In the brazen altar that we talked about last week, judgment against sin. In the brazen laver, we find judgment against self. Let me say that again. In the brazen altar, there's judgment against sin, our sin. Then in the laver, there's judgment against self. Brass is judgment with mercy. Woo-hoo. So when I come to the place of sin, I got to take care of the sin. It's judgment with mercy. I got to take care of myself. It's a continual, daily renewing. One time baptism, then there is a renewing of myself in the place of cleansing. Amen. Let's, let's, let's put that last slide up. The labor is the place of cleansing. The mirrors that belonged to the ladies of Israel, made of the highly polished brass. One one rabbi said it like this. This act of sacrifice was so precious in the eyes of the Holy One, the fact that the women cared more about fulfilling the word than they did about their own appearance. They cared more about fulfilling the word of God than they did their own appearance. What would happen if there was something that got inside of us that every time we head into his presence, whether in personal prayer, whether in family time or church time, that we just simply said, okay, I'm putting aside my looking glass and I want to go to the word and let the word begin to speak to me. Show me who I am. I don't have to look to the world. I'm going to look at the word. Show me what my future is. Show me. Hallelujah. Oh, let's love him. Would you stand, please? Would you stand, please, and thank him today for the cleansing, the washing. Hallelujah. The renewing. Daily, Lord, we give you praise today. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your name. 
Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you supply our every need today. Oh, God, hallelujah. You are, Lord Jesus, one. Your word is one. Your truth is cohesive, Lord Jesus. Oh, it's not one truth in one place and another truth in another. Lord, it fitly joins together. Oh, God, but sometimes we've got to have it be revealed to us. So let your spirit come down on the word. Let your spirit Spirit and anointing come down on the word. Let it become alive to us. Help us to have that moment of revelation. I can see what the Lord is doing in my life. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.